1957. Actually, it was 1956 was the first time I stood in this pulpit to preach. And I was nervous and afraid and shaking. And it's now 2014. And I'm nervous and afraid and shaking (laughs) for several reasons. And I'll share those with you. But first of all, I want to Y'all know me, some of you know me, I'm always flying off the handle at some point and coming up with weird things, and I just had a weird thought. Where's that hat? Is that called a TAM? What is it called? Huh? A beret. Y'all know Steve has been in France learning to paint and wearing a beret? Two weeks from today... He'll be back in this pulpit. I think the whole congregation ought to wear a beret and bring a paintbrush. Would you do that? Come on, I mean, we got to loosen up in this church. Let's all wear a beret and bring a paintbrush. Okay, and if the sermon gets boring, then we've always got Dale to teach us how to use that paintbrush and we'll just change the focus. I'm a little nervous also today because this, this could be my last sermon in this church. Uh, no, I don't know something you don't know, but you've got such a great array of preachers around here that those of us who've been wandering in the pastures for a long time need to, need to take a permanent break. When Steve asked me to preach, along with the other uh, folks who've been preaching during his absence, I immediately went to the lectionary passage for today, which was feeding the 5,000. And I worked long and hard, and I'll let you be the judge whether or not that was worth the effort, but I worked on a sermon for several weeks, and I finally recalled enough typing skills to be able to type out a manuscript. And before we left on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I had it all planned All I needed to do was come back here Friday, day before yesterday, and read over my script, and I'd be ready. But I got on my email a message from the church saying that Rachel Pence preached on the feeding of the (laughs) 5,000. So... I said to Sarah, we need to cut this vacation short. I need to go home and need to write another sermon. But then something dawned on you. You know you have these revelations, and we have to be out by 12. Is that right, Bill? Okay. (laughs) I had this thought. When I graduated from seminary, along with any of the rest of our seminary people here, we were known as theological tadpoles. That's just an affectionate phrase they gave to young theological students. And I'm here to tell you that last week you heard a theological tadpole's take on the feeding of the 5,000. Today you're going to hear it from a bullfrog. (laughs) Um, Let me read this passage for you again. You've heard it. from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, when Jesus heard this, 
he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to the heaven, and he blessed, and he broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full, and those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me show off one other little bit of knowledge. I learned in seminary something that I've shared with you all in various times and places, that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are the Greeks, that's us, and the Hebrews. And the Greeks are the people who ask the questions, who, what, when, where, how does something happen? The Hebrews always wanted to know, what does this mean to me? And so to a bunch of Greeks, I'm going to give you a Hebrew sermon and try and help you understand what this passage of Scripture might mean to you in addition, in addition to that wonderful message that you heard last week. I listened to the sermon, and it was wonderful. Jesus' best-known miracle, feeding 5,000 people. And somebody has noted that if Jesus were alive today, he wouldn't be allowed to get away with half of the miracles that he performed. Think about it. Turning water into wine? This would provoke immediate protest from the alcoholic beverage industry who would argue that it's unfair for competition and amounts to a monopoly. It would be probably denounced by various Christian bodies as something likely to lead to drunkenness. Or what about feeding the multitude? Serving bread and fish to thousands of people in an outdoor event would require approval of a government health inspector to ensure that the food had been prepared properly and anything that was left over was disposed of properly. Or what about walking on water? You remember that one he did? This can only be done if it were preceded by a disclaimer that nobody should try this at home, particularly children and teenagers. Or the miraculous catch of fish. You know, fish stocks are now rigorously 
conserved to protect against overfishing, and such large catches would undoubtedly exceed the fishermen's quota, leading to some stiff penalties. What about healing the man born blind? This apparent act of kindness would lead to all sorts of problems with Medicare and Medicaid, and all disability benefits would immediately be stopped, and the man in question would probably face an investigation. Or what about the miracle of rising from the dead? Environmental health officers wouldn't be happy about that one either, as there are stringent rules governing the proper disposal of bodies. What a world we live in. I heard about a young seminarian who worked part-time at a catering company which once served 3,000 people at an 11 p.m. meal. And here was the menu. Shrimp, sliced turkey, filet, rich meat spaghetti, salad, bread, and brownies. It was a monumental task. It took a full week to prepare a 1,000 pounds of shrimp and 70 turkeys and 35 electric roasters of spaghetti and 700 pounds of filet and dozens of three-by-five sheets of brownie and a whole bunch of large baby bathtubs full of salad. Can you imagine such an operation? A meal to 3,000 people? I, I just get weary thinking about that. Now imagine feeding 5,000, no, no, wait a minute, double that, 10,000. The Bible says there were 5,000 men, and of course we know there were women and children probably also. I believe that 5,000 hungry men would be able to eat enough food, but to feed more with women and children, it was just an impossible task. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The crowd followed Jesus out into the wilderness, and evening was approaching. And concerned, his disciples came to the master, and they said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds home so that they can, or away, so that they can go into the village and buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, can you imagine their surprise when Jesus said that? He wanted them to feed maybe 10,000 people on the spot. And we have five loaves and two fish, they said. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down. It's obvious that Jesus is in charge of the situation. Have the people sit down. Hmm. Dr. John Claypool, one of the great preachers of the past, tells about a missionary in China in the 19th century during a time when there was a terrible famine that swept over the land. And the missionary had connections back in the States, so he arranged to have a whole boatload of foodstuff shipped over to China. Well, the people waited for many, many weeks for this shipment of food. And when the word came that the ship had landed and the food was being unloaded and that there was great excitement all around the land, 
Word was sent out that the next Tuesday at 8 o'clock, people could come and gather up food stuff. You can imagine what happened. Before the dawn of that day, thousands of hungry Chinese gathered in hope. And when the distribution began, there was such a frenzy on the part of the people trying to get to the food that a riot broke out. Several people were injured. A few people were trampled to death. And the police had to be brought in to quell the riot. The missionary was absolutely heartbroken. What he had intended to be part of an answer turned into another problem. And that night he was so distraught, he couldn't sleep. As was his custom, he found himself leafing through the Bible for some sort of consolation. And late that night he opened to this passage where Jesus encountered the multitude of hungry people... And then a detail of that story jumped off of the pages that he had never noticed before. Jesus had the people sit down. And it dawned on him, that that missionary, that this is a wonderful form of crowd control. If the people are seated, they can't riot. And he couldn't wait until the next morning to announce that once again they would try to distribute the food. But only this time, he made the people sit down. And the second distribution went as well as the first had gone badly. And the missionary wrote back home that he had a renewed appreciation for the common sense of Jesus. Well, anyhow, Jesus has the people sit down. And taking those five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and he said, give them to the people. And everybody ate and was satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. This is an amazing story. It's one that we would do well to study more carefully. Notice Christ's concern for the multitude. Matthew begins this story by saying, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Nothing new in that. Throughout the gospel, he shows compassion to the least and the lowest. Jesus came with one purpose and desire, and that is to seek and to save the lost. And when he gazed out over Jerusalem, he wept. He knew the heartaches. He knew the headaches. He knew the hungers that go with being human. Bring the masses from the ends of the earth. The compassionate Christ cares for everyone. But to really appreciate Christ's love for people, we need to back up a little bit. The story actually begins when Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot. Did you catch that? When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a solitary place. Well, what was it that had happened? When we back up a few verses, we discover that Christ's beloved cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod. And how do you think Jesus felt 
when he got this news. How would you feel, a family member that you're very close to had been a victim of an atrocious crime? No wonder Matthew said that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. Don't you think that maybe Jesus wanted to be alone so he could grieve the death of his cousin? But then Matthew adds this interesting phrase. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. Poor Jesus can't even have a moment alone to grieve. Let me tell you, if this had happened to me, the last thing I'd feel like seeing is a mob of people coming for me to me for help. But that's me. And perhaps that's you. But that's not Jesus. Jesus had compassion for the crowd. And he still gazes upon us with that same compassion today. But not only does he have compassion... He's capable. He's not only compassionate, he's capable. He is competent to do for us more than we are able to imagine. Many people, a lot of people have tried over the years to give a rational explanation for the miracle of the fishes and the loaves. Early in the 20th century, it became fashionable to find natural explanation for the miracles. Albert Schweitzer, that great man, wrote that each of the 5,000 people were so completely impressed in the presence of Jesus that he felt satisfied even though they were not actually filled. Another theory, another theory was that the crowd brought food with them. And when a small boy offered to share his lunch, this shamed others into sharing theirs as well. And so the first church-wide covered day supper was created. But these explanations miss the point. They miss it miserably. The important point is, of this story is that Jesus is capable to supply our needs no matter how he does it. Our needs may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be spiritual, but Christ is sufficient. And this may be the point at which a lot of us are missing the joy of our faith. We believe that God cares for us and our need, but we don't really believe that God is able to help us. And thus we lead joyless, powerless lives But what good is compassion without capability? He is able. Some of you might remember the story of the explorer Richard Byrd, who in the winter of 1934 went to a weather station in Antarctica. And the temperatures ranged from 58 to 76 degrees below zero. And by the time he was rescued, he was suffering from extreme frostbite and carbon monoxide poisoning. And afterwards, he wrote about his experience in a little book entitled Alone. Listen to what he says. I had hardly strength to move. I clung to the sleeping bag, which was the only source of comfort and warmth left to me, and mournfully debated the little that might be done. Two facts stood clear. 
One was that my chances of recovering were slim. The other was that in my weakness, I was incapable of taking care of myself. But you must first have faith. You must have faith in the outcome. I whispered that to myself over and over. It's like a flight into another unknown. You start and you cannot turn back. You must go on trusting your instruments, the course you have plotted. And that description sounds to me very much like faith. You must go on trusting the one who has brought you this far. You see, Christ is not only compassionate, but he's capable But Christ uses what we give him to work with. This is going to hurt. This is the part you don't want to hear. You may have noticed in Matthew's telling of the feeding of the 5,000, he doesn't mention that the young boy who had with him the five loaves and the two fish. We have to go to John's gospel to pick up that part of the story, that part of the details. But what if that young boy had not been willing to share his five loaves and two fish? Well, I believe surely that Christ would still have found a way to feed the multitude. But it does seem to be a clear principle of faith that God works best when God has something to work with. It might be fish. It might be bread. It might be a tiny baby hidden in the bulrushes. It might be a shepherd boy guarding his father's sheep. But God needs something or somebody with which to work. There's an article in People magazine years ago about a nine-year-old girl named Cassandra. And she read a story about a time when some foster children who were forced to drag their belongings in a garbage bag from home to home every time they moved. And she said, these kids have nothing. And she got so upset, she decided to do something. So Cassandra organized a barbecue. And with a group of her friends, decorated 100 pillowcases with fabric markers so that these foster children would have something pretty to carry their things in. And she and her friends also included in each pillowcase an address book so that the children can keep in touch with family and with friends. And the pillowcases also held a journal, pens, and stuffed animals. And over a three-year period, Cassandra donated more than 1,000 of her good night sleep tight pillowcases to foster kids throughout her state. And one of the children, a little girl, 12-year-old named Amy, said, You know, I use the journal every night, and I love those stuffed horses. He's so cuddly. You see, like the boy with the fish and the loaves, Cassandra is using what she had to bring happiness to children who have so little. Back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, there's a woman whose husband dies, and the creditors were coming to take away her sons as slaves for payment. And she cries out to the prophet Elisha for help. And Elisha responds, his response to her is to ask her this question. What do you have in your house? And all she had in the cupboard was a little oil 
But when she took it and put it in the hands of God, a miracle happened and her needs were met. You see, whenever we have a need or someone we care about has a need, the first question we need to ask is, what do I have in my house? Are there some fish and loaves or some oil that God could use in a miraculous way? But before you answer that, think about what you have for a moment. It might be some material possession. It might be a talent. But there is something that you have, however small, that God might be able to use to meet someone's need. A simple clothing story. A man's wife died. And he was inconsolable, as you would expect. He took flowers to her grave every day. And he consulted a priest who counseled him for three months. And one day the priest saw him with flowers in his hand that he brought to the session before he went to the cemetery. And the priest said, today, I don't want you to go place those at your your wife's grave. I want you to go down the street to St. John's Hospital and go into each room and give a flower to each patient. Well, the next week, the man came in for his session. He was so elated. He said, I had a wonderful time giving out flowers that way. He said, those people appreciated them so much. I made so many friends. And by the way, I can't stay for my session today because I'm going back to see my friends. Are there some fish and loaves or pillowcases, or flowers in your life that you can use to bring joy into someone else's life. Christ has compassion for our needs. He is able to meet our needs, and sometimes he uses us to meet the needs of others. He is able to use us in a wonderful way if, if, we are willing to take the little that we have and let him use it as he wills. Amen.